Okay, I'm glad you're here. So we're going to talk a little bit about the power of words. Um, the Parsha is concerning um, making vows, but, but it's deeper than vows. Vows is sort of like an English word. We call them uh, a neder or shvua. This is the ability to actually generate mitzvahs. You can generate mitzvahs with your mouth by declaring things which is like a wild concept, but, but we have to get into the details of that and understand wh what that means exactly. Um, we're also concluding the book of Numbers, Sefer Bamidbar, um, and, and that's all about speech too, because as our friend uh, Ari pointed out, something very beautiful, which is that all of the names of the five books have to do with speaking. Like Breshis, Breshis means, you know, out of beginnings basically, or with beginnings God created the world. But we know that God spoke the world into creation. So that's, that's speech. Breshis is, is hinting at speech. Shmos, also known as the book of Exodus, Shmos means names. What are, what are names? Names are something that you, you refer to each other as, right? So that's, that's also uh, the power of speech. The next book is Vayikra, or Leviticus. Vayikra means to call. So that's, that's, that's also speech. Bamidbar, also known as Numbers, Bamidbar, is the same letters midaber, which means to talk. And the last, the last book of the Torah, uh, Devarim, or in English Deuteronomy, Devarim means words. So you see, all of the books of the Torah concern speech and words. And, and as we said, God spoke the world into creation, or as Reb Shlomo says, God sang the world into creation. You know, which means that... Um, sort of like within, embedded within the fabric of creation is this, is this unbelievable song. And we know that the Torah itself is the blueprint of creation, and the Torah refers to itself as a song in the Torah. So, so basically, it's like there are all these different wavelengths of energy that are sort of built into creation itself, and one of them that's there is the level of song, which means that you know, if you think of it in terms of quantum physics, it's one thing to speak, but then it's a quantum level up to sing. Like it's a whole jump in, in energy to sing. And all of that jump in energy is embedded into creation itself. And where do you see that God sang the Torah or sang the world into existence? So the Tikkun Zohar points out that the word breishis, right, the first word of the Torah, you know, in, in the beginning or with beginnings or out of beginnings, God created the world. The word breishis, if you rearrange the letters of breishis, it's shiras olive bays, which means the song of the olive bays. Olive bays is the Hebrew alphabet. We know that God created the world out of the, out of the letters of the Torah. But if you, it's not like he hammered an olive and a base together. These are hinting at different energy wavelengths. And God formed them into this remarkable, amazing thing called the universe. Um, so, I, we're talking about journeys, and we'll get into that too, because, you see, on a very deep level, you could say that we just finished the five books, or the Torah, this past Shabbos. Because the end of uh, book number four was just said, and then we have the fifth book, Devarim, which is called Mishnah Torah, which is a repetition of the Torah. Meaning to say, if that's going over everything that was already in the Torah, 
So, so by a certain way of learning, the end of the fourth book would be the end of the Torah, right? And it's appropriately talking about travels, because we're just talking about endless travels. But these are all points that we'll get to later in more detail. But I'm just bringing it up because I want to tell you a story. I took a trip uh, this past week, and I went to the um, to Comic Con in in San Diego, which is you know like probably the Americas or maybe the world's biggest. Uh, pop culture festival. And um, I was on a panel there. It was, it was kind of cool. And there's like 125, 140,000 people converging on this very small space. And they're dressed, like a lot of people are just dressed up in as everything under the sun, superheroes. And one of my favorite stories, because the last few Shabbos I've spent down, there's a Chabad nearby a, a few blocks away. And one of the, one of the guys there, he's like this big strapping, handsome guy. And, uh, you know, he's in his long black coat and he was wearing his tallest tashul and he's got a long beard and he's like really in his black hat. And he, he said that he was stopped on the way to shul. People were asking him which superhero he was. <laughs> and it's like, you know, not everyone could pull off that look, but this guy, if you saw this guy, you'd go, yeah, I totally get it. I totally get it, you know? So anyway, it's a crazy scene. It's a crazy scene. So. So I got, um, I, I was there with my, my, my daughter and we got um, just sort of like this, uh, this, this giveaway and it, it was um, uh, this cardboard version of Captain America's shield, right? You know, it wasn't great, but it, it was good enough. It was pretty cool. And, you know, you had its, if you know the symbol, it's concentric circles with a star in the middle, right? And on the other side of it were two straps so you could put your arm through and, you know, you could sort of like be like Captain America. So we, we got it right before we were leaving and we're kind of rushing back to the hotel. We have to leave, get back into the car. And um, so, so one of the guests of the hotel sees, sees my daughter and, and looks at the shield and says, oh, I have um, a friend whose son loves Captain America. And you know, mm -hmm. Awkward silence, you know? and then they sort of walked on, and we were walking behind them. And my daughter says to me, "Should should I give her the my shield, you know?" And um, and I said, "You know, if you if you want to." And then she said, "Well, you know, there's uh, this this thing Beaker Cholim, which means visiting the sick. There's this program where you visit sick children. Um, it should all be well." And um, you know, sometimes they have a theme day where you dress up to make the children happy. And if I keep the shield, that's, that's something that I think would cheer up the kids if I had that. So I said, okay, so, so hold on to it. Don't, 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 don't give it away. Okay, fine. So we get into the elevator and we get to the hotel room and then, you know, um, we, have to, we have to run. We're late to go. And I'm packing up my bags and it's like I've got five different bags. Everything's totally disorganized, you know, all my laundry stuffed into this big brown shopping bag, and I'm carrying my shield, you know, <laughs> and I'm, I can hardly hold on to my bags, and I see there are three in this, the hallway of the, of the, of the, of the hotel, there are these three um, housekeepers who are coming to clean the rooms, and they're all kind of huddled together, and I'm walking toward them, and I thought to myself, I, you know, I, I, I said, do, 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 do any of you have boys? And they kind of look at me blankly. And 
I know a tiny bit of Spanish, so I say, Tiene hijo? You know, like, you know, do you have a son? And the, the one in the middle, who I couldn't see clearly, she says, she sort of raises her hand, I do. So I handed her the shield, and then she steps out from behind the, 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 the cart, and she's wearing Captain America's shield on her t-shirts. Like, that, it's the exact symbol, nothing else, no words, no pictures, just that concentric circle, Captain America's here with the, the star in the middle. And it was like, all right, I can either stay here longer and my brain can drip out of my nose, or I can run and get to the car because I got to get home. So it's like, you know, it's like, like what? <laughs> How did that happen exactly? So, and obviously I, I didn't see it when I gave it to her, you know, until right after. So anyway... Just it never it, it never stops to amaze me how endlessly exact God is, you know, and it just it just it, it never ends it never ends and and on that it never ends it never ends. Let's get back to this idea of journeys, because the last parsha of of Bamidbar, which again you could argue or learn out, is the last parsha of the Torah, since the next book is a review of the Torah is just talking about journeys. Um, and there's something, it's, it's, a, it's a Torah from the, the Jikover Rebbe. Um, he was one of the great Hasidic masters. And, and he's unbelievable with gematria. And uh, Reb Shlomo referred to him as, he called him a supercomputer before there were computers. Mm-hmm. And I always, that phrase always stuck in my mind. And... Um, just in terms of unpacking the depths of what's written in the Torah, because we know that the five books contains everything. Like, it's a, it's a microcosm of the entire universe. And if you dig and you dig, you'll see absolutely everything in the Torah. See, people get confused and they make a mistake. They think because they don't see in the narrative of the Torah itself references to computers or space travels or subatomic particles or whatever it is, that you're dealing with an ancient document. But we say Torah Chaim, that the Torah is a living Torah, and that it's eternal. It's true forever. So the narrative is a very superficial layer that's put on top of the Torah itself. But one shouldn't be fooled into thinking that that it's a dated document, because it's not referring to events that are happening today. Because underneath that superficial layer of narrative is is basically all of the wiring of the entire universe, and it's endlessly, endlessly, endlessly present tense. Um, so, so with that in mind, here's how um, the last parsha of uh, Bamidbar begins. Um, parsha's Maase. It says, "Ele Maase Vine Israel," and in English this means, "These are the journeys of the children of Israel." So. So on the most, what we said, called pshat, on the most sort of like um, simple level, uh, it's referring to the 42 journeys that the Jewish people made on the way from Egypt into Israel. But what did we just say? We just said that the Torah is absolutely eternal and it's present tense. It's not only present tense, it's also future tense. It's talking about forever, right? So if that's the case, then these are the journeys of the children of Israel. 
what do you think that that has to be referring to? It can't just be referring to like something that took place thousands of years ago, right? Because the Torah is working on every single level. It has to maybe even be referring to like, can we even like stretch our minds to like even dare to say such a thing? All of the journeys that the Jewish people are going to go on from the beginning all the way till Mashiach comes, right? So if that's the case, then where is the hint to all of the exiles? Because you journey through an exile, right? Because you journey until you arrive. So journey is synonymous with exile. Where is there a hint in these words? These are the journeys of the children of Israel. There should be a hint to all of the exiles that the Jewish people go through throughout all of time till Mashiach comes. And the, the holiness, the holiness of the Jikover Rebbe, he sees it very simply, right in the words. Let's go over, just so you all know, there are four exiles. There are four exiles till Mashiach comes. Four exiles. Okay? So, so there are also four words here. Ele ma sevene Yisrael. That's four words. Look at the first letter of each of these words. The Jikover points out, is the name of one of the exiles. This is unbelievable. Ele starts with the letter Aleph, that's Edom. Mase, Mem is Madai, that's another exile, that was at the time of Purim. Vene, Bez, is Bavel. And Yisrael, Yud is Yavan, that's Greece. So here in these words, see, because the, the, the Torah is working on as we like to say, the Torah is the infinite compact into the finite. So when you begin to unpack it, you have to understand that they're all different ways of reading the Torah. The first letter of each of each word, the last letter of each word, the in-between numbers, what the in-between letters add up to in each word. They're endless portholes into discovering and unpacking what's going on. So here you see all of exile until we arrive at the end, until we arrive in Israel, which is the ingathering of the exiles, which on a deeper level stands for the completion of, of the world. Remember, everybody, everybody in the world has the same question, which is, if there's a God, why is the world so messed up? Everybody has this question. And the answer is, because the world isn't finished yet. The world is not finished yet. It's not finished being completed yet, being created yet. And that's why we're here, to be partners with God in terms of finishing off creation. This is huge. It's hugely empowering, and it's actually reality. But the idea of the last part of the Torah dealing with journeys is, is even deeper than that. And I just want to touch on this because... If, if you were to ask me, and, you know, in terms of paying the rent and things like that, I'm a, I'm a writer. So I'm, I'm keyed into, like, writing and narrative and things like that. If you were to ask me, and really ask anyone, what is the main storyline of the five books? There's really one clear answer. It's one clear answer. It's the story of the Jewish people going into Israel. That's, 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 that, that is the story of the five books. So isn't it striking if the five books is a microcosm of the entire universe and all of reality and all of history, right? Isn't it interesting that the five books ends without the Jewish people entering into the land? 
Like that's if you contemplate that, that's a that's a wild that's a wild thought. We we actually never get there. And what that means is, on the most cosmic macro level, there is no closure. There is no closure. And let's continue to explain. What that means is, is that the journey that we're on is lasting for all of eternity in the most beautiful way. Understand that this is actually really good news. And let me, let me explain to you how and why. Because God is infinite. But we're finite. That means that the finite never catches up with the infinite. That means after 120, when our souls leave our body, we continue to scale the heights of heaven and the universes and all the spiritual worlds, and it never ever stops, and it never gets boring, <laughs> and there is no repetition. Right? Like, like we were joking yesterday, like no one's going to say, Pittsburgh again? Like, like, we're just going around in circles, right? Or that just looks like, was that Philly? You know, no one, that's not happening. It's going to be endlessly new, creative, amazing vistas, right? And there's going to be no blockage. Like, what we're able to perceive now and what the soul is able to be, be able to perceive when it's out of the body are like, vastly different, like magnitudes of order different. Let's understand that better. You see, I saw from Rabbi Ari Kaplan something very interesting, which is one of the jobs of the central nervous system is actually to block outside stimuli. See, we tend to think that like our brain and our spinal cord and everything like that is, is in order to absolutely lock us into everything that we see so that we can move and we can perceive and comprehend everything. It's not the case. It's not the case. And the example that they give, which you'll understand it like as soon as you hear it. Let's say you lived in New York City or something like this. Can you imagine having a perfect recall of every single face that you passed on the sidewalk or in the subway? Do you, do you know what would happen? Your brains would short circuit. Your brains would short circuit. Could you imagine if you were actually able to see angels? like spiritual forces around you, your brains would short circuit. And so, oddly, almost ironically, or, or let's say counterintuitively, the job, one of the jobs of the central nervous system is actually to block out and to filter outside stimuli so that you, you don't go crazy, basically. Okay? But now imagine that you don't need to block out outside stimuli anymore. <laughs> Imagine that your soul, which is a piece of God, but it's sort of like, you know, remember, we have, we have levels of infinity. It's like a very important idea. A lot of people think that infinity, like define infinity. You ask a, like a 10-year-old, a, a what's infinity? And they'll go, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and they'll keep on counting forever. But if you know a little bit more, you know that there's an infinite number of numbers between the numbers 1 and 2, between 2 and 3, right? So there's levels of infinity. And so just like your soul is a piece of God, and there's an infinite aspect to your soul, nonetheless, it's like, so to speak, between 1 and 2, that level of infinity, not the ultimate infinity, which is God. 
So, so when your soul, which is like sort of like a subset of God's infinity, but is infinite also, plugs into true infinity without needing any filter system, like the central nervous system, to filter out stuff, we're getting a little taste now of what it says in Pirkei Avos, that you can add up all of the pleasures of all of the world together, and it won't compare to one moment in the next world. Right? And not only that, but it never gets boring. <laughs> so it's just sort of like, like I heard Rabbi Green say one time, it's sort of like, ah, 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 and forever, but in a great way. <laughs> so, so, so when we say that there's no closure, ultimately, that that this is what's being hinted at on one level, that the Jewish people never get into Israel when the five books end. That's hinting at the idea that the soul's journey never stops and goes on forever, and that it's awesome and great and fantastic. It's fantastic, right? So, so, so Rebetzin Freeman said that basically this lifetime, this world, is to prepare you for eternity. <laughs> Right? That's, so you can begin to start saying, okay, well, I've got certain opportunities right now. Right? Like, like what, what, what do I want to take on my trip? Right? Because the more we have in this world in terms of, like, the more love we give, the more, the more mitzvahs we do, right? The more we're able to rocket power and access these levels that we're talking about right now. Or if you imagine, like, you could have everyone, everyone does something right. You know, so, so everyone is going to participate in this. Every Jew is going to participate in this. And the righteous of all the nations are going to participate in this. But can you imagine, like, accessing the light with a thimble? Or can you imagine having Hoover Dam? Right? Or the Pacific Ocean in terms of your vessel? Because there's an infinite amount coming down. So there's no vessel that will be too, too big where the shefa, the outpouring of light from above to below, will ever run out. So the more we do, the more we create vessels for this light, and the more we widen these vessels to contain more and more of this light. That's this world. That's this world. It's a very unique and very limited opportunity. Because remember, anytime you have an infinite construct next to a finite construct, no matter how large the finite construct is, next to the infinite, um, next to the infinite, which is right next to the finite, the finite is always going to look tiny, like a grain of sand, even if it's very large, right? Because compared to the infinite, it's tiny. So this life is the finite structure. And we can get fooled and sort of like, you know, like the lotus eaters, like we get sort of like, um, you know, sort of entranced by this world and we, we tend to think that this, this is the entirety of existence, right? And, and then we lose this like little window for forever to access in the best, deepest, most wonderful way forever. Okay. So, so let's keep on going. Um, I want to talk about this idea of, 
of vows. We, we, we talked about it in the beginning a little bit. Like, what it, you know, vows, it's, it's an English word. Um, or it's, it's so, so the, the Torah concept is like, really, it's, it's, it's deeper and it's, 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 it's pretty wild. Okay, so we have a mitzvah in the Torah, which is that you can't add to the Torah and that you can't subtract from the Torah. Okay? So, you can't add mitzvahs and you can't subtract mitzvahs. And any religion or any system that tells you that these mitzvahs don't apply anymore, or that these are dated, or that someone came along and wiped them away and made them not relevant anymore, that, that actually the Torah says that that's subject to the death penalty. Right? That, that is really, like, very anti-Torah. We say that the, the Torah itself, the 613 mitzvahs, these, are, these, are, these can't be changed. Okay. So what does it mean to, that you can't add to the Torah and you can't subtract from the Torah? Because we just said in the beginning that when you make a vow, God gives us this ability to create new mitzvahs for ourselves. So how do you reconcile these ideas? Okay. So let's just start from the beginning. You see, it says you can't add to the mitzvahs and you can't subtract. So when I first learned that, I asked, uh, I asked the rabbi, Rabbi Sitran, I said, I would have written it this way, that you, wouldn't, you can't subtract and you can't add. Like, I would think if a person wants to change the Torah, the first thing they're going to want to do is subtract from the mitzvahs, not add to the mitzvahs. So why does it say don't add to the mitzvahs and don't subtract? So he said, because the person who adds then feels as though he has the right to subtract. I thought that was very psychologically, like, right on the money. Because a person goes, look, I'm the one who's adding. You know, okay, now that I'm adding, uh, you know, you know me, I'm a good guy, I'm the one who's adding. Okay, we don't need this one, we don't need that one. See, what it is is, and this is already getting to the depths of what it means for us to have eaten from the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden. Like, why was that such a fundamental event? So without going into the depths of it, what happened was there was a shift in consciousness from understanding that God is running the world to thinking that each of us individually runs the world. See, that's what happens. That's it. And, 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 and we're hardwired to think each one of us is hardwired to think that each one of us individually is the final authority and runs the world. And one of the greatest acts of devotion, we quote, we, we have a phrase in, in Torah called a Yerashamayim. That means someone who has awe of heaven. And it's a very exalted level. It's like a great thing to be a Yerashamayim. So, so what is a Yerashamayim? It's someone who understands on an ongoing basis that God is running the show. That, the, that I myself am not running the show. And believe it or not, that sounds like, okay, so I see it. The world is very exalted. It's very grand. How God keeps it all going, I have no idea. Our tradition is that God is creating and recreating the world every single moment. So, so I get it. God's bigger than me. God is running the show. And then two minutes later, no, I'm running the show. <laughs> It's what we would call a very unstable isotope <laughs> consciousness. It's constantly flipping, 
constantly flipping, constantly flipping. And to maintain that focus that Hashem is running the show is, is, sounds easy, it's not easy. Right? So, so Moshe, Moshe says at one point, all God asks from you is that you fear him or that you have this yira for him. Right? And then the rabbis from the Gomorrah go, wait a second, is that such a simple thing? And they say, yeah, for Moshe it was simple. The rest of us, not so simple. Okay. So, so don't add and don't subtract. So when a person decides to add, then they're all of a sudden making themselves the final authority, and the same thing with subtracting. So let's give an example. The classic example of don't add to the Torah means everybody knows on Sukkot, we take what's called the Arba Minim, the four species, right? So you can't say, you know what, I love eucalyptus, I'm putting eucalyptus in the bundle, and that's my extra mitzvah. You, you can't do that, because that's, that's one of these building block, fundamental, very mystical unities, you know, like whatever it is, whatever God had in mind when he decided that it was those four species, that's, that's what it is. If you decide that you want to add eucalyptus or rosemary or whatever it is, it's like it could come from a beautiful place in you, but at that point you're adding to the mitzvahs. Right? Okay. To subtract, you say, okay, that one I don't want to do. Right? That one, it, like, no longer applies. Like, for instance, the reform movement says, well, let me explain to you pork. Like, let me explain. Pork, the Jews were very smart. They understood that pork caused trigonosis. That was back in the ancient day. Now we know how to treat trigonosis. It's not an issue. So the mitzvah of not eating pork anymore no longer applies. So, so this would be the idea of subtracting from the mitzvahs. Because interestingly, as much as we understand that there are benefits from keeping a kosher diet, the, the mitzvah itself of kashrus is called a chok, which means it's super rational. It's beyond what our minds rationally can go to. Like there's a sort of, we were talking about the construct of the infinite, which is God, and he creates us, which is the finite, that means that there's a level that we'll never be able to grasp, which is always beyond us. There's a certain category of mitzvahs called the chukim, which are in this super rational, not irrational, not irrational, super rational place, above where our minds can reach, where we, through our performing them, actually can connect to this place, this infinite place beyond us which is unbelievable. God gives us the privilege and the opportunity to connect to places that are completely beyond our rational understanding. It's unbelievable. It's fantastic. One of them is keeping kosher. So from this you see there is no quote-unquote rational or revealed. Revealed is probably a better word to use. There is no revealed reason for the laws of kashrus. So to come up with a whole understanding of trigonosis, which might be historically correct, but it's not Torah correct. And so then to say that that mitzvah no longer applies, that I can eat pork today because trigonosis is not an issue, would be an example of subtracting from the mitzvahs. Okay, good. Now we can get back to vows. So now that we know that we can add and we can subtract, how is it possible that we can create new mitzvahs with our mouth? (laughs) 
And so I was like, wait a second, we, we just went on and on and on and on how you absolutely can't do that. Now you're telling me we can do that. What is going on? And the answer is, it's very deep. It's very deep, but we'll, we'll get to it. So, so the idea is, you see, your mouth, like the Avni Nezer says, your mouth is, is what's called a Kli Kodesh. Your mouth was created to praise God. And so your mouth is like holy. It's, a, it's this holy vessel. It's an unbelievable thing. And what did we say? We said that God created the world by speaking it into existence or on an even deeper level by singing it into existence. Now, if you want to, there, there are clear references to, to what I'm talking about. But there's one that we say... Uh, in the in the in the morning prayers in the morning davening, it sort of like uh, kicks off the beginning of of Psuke uh, de Zimra. Uh, it's called Brook Shamar, and I just want to read it to you because I love the total directness of it, the total clarity of it. Brook Shamar Fahaya Haolam Baruchu, blessed is he who spoke, and the world came into being. Blessed is he. Blessed, he, blessed is he who maintains creation, meaning the world is constantly being created and recreated every nanosecond. Blessed is he who speaks and does. So, in other words, one of the things that you see here is an absolutely seamless connection between pledging and doing. See, that's very important for us, that if we pledge something or if we say that we're going to do something, to be able to follow through. Because that's very godlike. That's very godlike. In fact, in fact, there's almost a complete overlap and 100% correlation between speaking and it and, and, and it coming to be. Right? But here you see from the power of speech that God brings creation into the world. And through our power of speech, we can also bring creation into the world. And so God allows us, if we want to positively motivate ourselves. Or like Reb Tzadaka says something very interesting. A lot of times mitzvahs are just on an intellectual level, but it's very important for the mind and the heart to work together. And you, if you need to generate a level of emotion and enthusiasm, sometimes making a vow can get your heart and your emotions involved in the process. And so ultimately, it's a beneficial thing. Like, you know something, I got to take care, better care of my health. I just have to. God gave me this body, and he wants me to live in order to do more things into the world. I have to go to the gym. You know what? I'm going to make a vow to go to the gym. And that's in order to motivate yourself in order to serve God better. So at that point, if, you, if a person does that, and by the way, we're supposed to avoid doing this, <laughs> But just the fact that it exists is unbelievable. Although they say if a person is like in a plane that's crashing, right? Like I heard Reb Shlomo say one time that he was in a plane that was going down, right? Obviously it didn't. But as it was starting to like nosedive, he said he, he took on all these vaps, right? So in a crisis moment, it is appropriate to take on a vow, but as a regular day-to-day thing to do, one shouldn't take on vows because they're very hard to maintain. They're hard to maintain, and then you're going to start tripping yourself up 
in terms of the, the performance of them. Okay? But the idea, again, is that we're created in God's image. And of course, God doesn't have a body. Like as I say to my kids, God doesn't have a body. He makes bodies, right? But nonetheless, there are certain aspects that we have that are very godlike. And one of them is the ability to create through words, right? And if you think that I'm just talking about making a golem or something like super Kabbalistic, I'm not. I'm talking about something that's, that I, I want us all to appreciate because what did we say? We said that God is renewing creation and bringing new, the, 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 the world into being every single moment like a, and a new world into creation every single moment. Now listen to this, because to me, I think this is kind of mind-blowing, okay? You see, the world that exists at the beginning of the sentence that I'm saying right now is not the world that exists at the end of the sentence. <laughs> Rav Moshe Shapiro, Allah uh, Shalom, said something that there's a very deep idea, something called inherent existence. There is no such thing as inherent existence. Let me just explain to you what that means. Inherent existence means, I'm holding a book right now, that this book that I'm holding, because it exists now, will continue to exist because it has inherent existence. Unless someone comes and like burns this book or disposes of it somehow, this book is going to continue to exist probably Forever, right? Okay, that's not a Torah concept. That's not a Torah concept. The Torah concept is, is that this book exists this moment, and it only exists the next moment because God has completely recreated it. And that goes for every aspect of the universe. So if you want another way of visualizing that, because it's a way out thought, Think of old film strips, right? Old film strips would have a photo, and then underneath that a photo, and then underneath that a photo, and underneath that a photo, right? And if you look at it, just the film strip, it's a very stagnant thing. It's just isolated photos. But when you run it through a film projector, it goes so quickly that there's this illusion of continuity. That's what God is doing with existence. It's happening so fast so fast that we don't even see it happening, right? So Rabbi Green used to tell a joke. He says he would put his arms by his side. He said it was the fastest drawer in the West. And he would say, you want to see how fast I can pull out my, my guns? You want to see again? <laughs> <laughs> You didn't even see it the first time. It was going so fast. And now if you want a, like a, a tangible parallel for this, and I wish I had more knowledge, I could give you the exact numbers. Do you know how fast the world is spinning right now? We're probably all upside down right now, <laughs> spinning at millions or tens of millions, or I don't, I don't know what the number is, miles an hour right now, and all of us think that we're sitting in a chair standing still listening to this guy. Like, if you were able to have a lens to remove 
yourself and to see what was going on, you'd be like clutching your stomach and like throwing up into outer space, right? Like what is going on? I mean, you know, like Reb Shlomo used to say a lot of times, why are you making God so small? Why are you making God so small? Like the levels of infinity that are going on in front of our eyes are unbelievable. And look at how humble God is, right? Like, like a lot of times, like, like you'll get a good idea, or I'll get a good idea, and then people will just move on, and they're using it. And you didn't feel like there was like enough of a moment to acknowledge that you gave the idea. It's like you know what I mean. Like, like God should be going. You said that that sunset. That's me, right? Unbelievable, right? Yeah. You like that shooting star? I did that. God is never doing that. It's like God is doing the most magnificent, magnificent, beyond, beyond, beyond things in the world every single moment. And he's never going, yep, that was me. Nah, come on. Yeah, just stop. Come on. Yeah, that was me. Yeah, God, nah. Never doing that. Like, and, 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 and if you look, it's in V'yitin Lecha, a prayer that we say Motzei Shabbos after Shabbos. It's, it's from the Talmud. It talks about wherever you see reference to God's greatness, <coughs> right afterwards, it, it, the, the next verse says, and God is with the widow and with the orphan. Wherever you see displays of, or, or mentions of God's power and might, you always see references to his humility. Because God, who's doing the most magnificent things constantly, is, the, is like humble doesn't even describe it. Humble doesn't even describe it. And so that level of humility, that level of humility is one of the chief vessels that we can make in terms of our life, in terms of holding the light, because God, like, to, to call God humble, I can't even say those words, because it's, you know, to say more is to say less, right? But to be humble is really to create a vessel to hold very very exalted levels, you know? Um, so, so yeah. So God gives us the ability to create. So now let's get to that mind-blowing thought, right? Which is that, you see, if I tell you that, um, see, see that guy over there? And you don't know anything about that guy. See that guy over there? He's a bad guy. He's a bad guy. Stay away from him, right? So, a moment ago, now by the way, there are times when that's appropriate to do. If the person is a menace, or if the person is a, a cheat in business, or wh- whatever it is, a flanderer, whatever it is. There, there are moments where that is appropriate. But there are also moments where it's completely inappropriate, where it's just lush and hard. And, 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 and you just have a grudge against that person, right? And so you want, you, you want to take away his friends, right? Remember, one of the it's very deep from Reb Shlomo. One of the things that, that someone who speaks Lashon Hara speaks against people, right? One of the checkpoints of their being able to become, um, you know, uh, freed of that, of that wrongdoing um, is, is that they have to sit alone outside the camp for a period of time. And so Reb Shlomo said that when a person speaks Lashon Hara, when a person gossips about someone else, 
that whether it's conscious or unconscious, what they're trying to do is to take away that person, those person's friends. Like when you think it's so heartbreaking, when you think about it, like, is that what I was trying to do? I was trying to take away his friends or her friends? It's so heartbreaking. And so one of the checkpoints of their purification is that they have to sit alone. They have to say, okay, this is what it's like not to have friends. Do you like that? Is that what you want? So, so imagine, imagine you say to someone, imagine you say to someone, um, that's a bad guy. But it's only because you don't like him or you have a grudge against him or because he didn't invite you to a party or something like this, right? So, so now, when you look at that person, you, the world that you were existing in before, I'm talking about how speech creates new worlds. The world that you were living in before, that person, you didn't know him from a hole in the wall, you, you probably didn't have a feeling one way or another about them. Now you live in a brand new universe where that's a bad guy. And you are now going to start to make decisions, walk a certain way, act a certain way, that is completely different. And, and it's a different world that you're inhabiting. Same is true on the other side. See that person over there? Oh, she's so nice. Or you walk over and then she goes, Hi, how are you? Oh, have you met my friend over here? And now all of a sudden you're inhabiting a different universe. So, so let's get back to this idea. We say God spoke the world into being. We are literally creating worlds with our speech. New worlds. Hopefully better worlds. Hopefully better worlds. And so that the world itself, on a um, material level, like the book that I was talking about, or the film strip, the world itself is being created and recreated. That's on a material level. But how we access it is through our perception and our consciousness. And in that way, we're very much partners with God in terms of the ongoing creation and recreation of the world through our speech. We are creating the world alongside God. Okay. Have a good week.